invite Bob Bean, a member of our congregation, to come and share about a place where he has encountered God. This is just a taste of what we'll be hearing from other witnesses next week. Thank you, Bob. When uh, Reverend Kara mentioned that we were doing this series on national parks, my initial thought was, where, what better place to find God? Um, I didn't grow up going to church every Sunday. Um, most of my weekends, our family went hiking, either uh, down in Rock Creek Park, or on the canal, going up to Shenandoah. Um, and our vacations uh, were always spent going to various national parks and camping and um, experiencing all the gifts that God has to show us. Um, my, most me my most memorable vacation was when I was 14. And we spent eight weeks out west, starting in Canyon to, Canyon to Shea in Arizona, over the Grand Canyon, uh, then Capitol Reef, Bryce Canyon, Zion in Utah, and up through the Rockies of Colorado to uh, Rocky Mountain National Park, and then on to Yellowstone and Grand Teton. Um, see. Every day was a new adventure, exploring God's diverse and amazing creation. And this showed me that it's not enough just to see these beautiful places, you need to experience them. When I was 16, I went on a school trip to the Grand Canyon. We hiked from the South Rim down to the river in February. And that's, that's a different experience because you can, when you're down, down at the river, it'll be 70 degrees and you're watching a blizzard on the rim. Um, so when I was when I was down there, one day I went off by myself and I climbed up onto a ledge. It was about, I don't know, one or 200 feet above the river. And I was just sitting there experiencing, you know, just taking in all the wonder that's the Grand Canyon. And all of a sudden off to my right, a large rock just fell off the cliff and down into and down into the canyon. And I was just totally amazed that I'm sitting there enjoying this creation that God had spent millions of years creating, and He allowed me to witness His creation. That the canyon changed that at that moment. That something nobody had ever seen before, and I watched. You know, it changed, and now it's a brand new, uh, a brand new canyon. I try to take that sense of awe whenever I'm in visiting the national parks. Whatever I'm experiencing has never been experienced before and never will be again. God is creating that experience just for me at just that time. And whenever you go visiting the national parks, um, if it's a new experience for you at that particular time. Thanks. Reading today from Isaiah 43, uh, verses 1 through 7. The Lord has rescued his people. Descendants of Jacob, I, the Lord, created you and formed your nation. Israel, don't be afraid. I have rescued you. 
I have called you by name, now you belong to me. When you cross deep rivers, I will be with you and you won't drown. When you walk through fire, you won't be burned or scorched by the flames. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, the God who saves you. I gave up Egypt, Ethiopia, and the region of Seba in exchange for you. To me, to me, you are very dear and I love you. And that's why I gave up nations and people to rescue you. Don't be afraid, I am with you. From both east and west, I will bring you together. I will say to the north and to the south, free my sons and daughters, let them return from distant land. They are my people. I created each of them to bring honor to me. Forget the past. The Lord said, forget what happened long ago. Don't think about the past. I am creating something new. There it is. Do you see it? I've put roads in deserts, streams in thirsty land. Every wild animal honors me, even jackals and owls. I provide water in deserts, streams in thirsty lands for my chosen people. I have made them my own nation, so they will praise me. Now Romans 12, uh, 1 through, uh, verses 1 to 2. Christ brings new life. Dear friends, God is good, so I beg you to offer your bodies to him as a living sacrifice, pure and pleasing. That's the most sensible way to serve God. Don't be like the people of this world, but let God change the way you think. Then you will know how to do everything that is good and pleasing to him. This is the word of God for the people of God. We have, we have Let It Go today. A few weeks ago, we had The Edge of Glory, so Lady Gaga and Frozen are indeed the scope of my <laughs> musical references. That's about all I got, so let's pray. <laughs> Holy God, we are so grateful for this time to hear, to listen, and to respond. I pray that your spirit would fall fresh on our hearts, would mold us and shape us and make us new. So we're closing out our National Park series with the one closest to home, Shenandoah, a 200,000-acre haven of woods and mountains and waterfalls and beautiful hiking trails with views around every curve of Skyline Drive. And our theme as we hold together this National Park with our faith and the scripture from Isaiah and Romans is transformation. Transformation because of the eight parts we visited this summer, Shenandoah exemplifies these four distinct seasons. The landscape completely changing over the course of a year. If you've been there already this summer or in years past, you know that in summer, the trails of Shenandoah are full of people. It is very crowded. And then there's this lush green trees and bushes. They make this canopy over all the trails through the Blue Ridge Mountains. In fall, the trees put on quite a colorful show. Their leaves turning to brilliant reds and 
oranges and yellows and pinks as they prepare to drop. By winter, the trees are bare and the skies are often clear so that if you're braving snow-covered trails, you'll get a much more unobstructed view of the valley below and the other mountains in the distance. And then in spring, there is that specific bright green of new growth. Blooming trees, 862 species of wildflowers covering the fields. Every year it comes again, the letting go of fall, the death and the stillness of winter, the bustling of spring and the abundant growth and daylight of summer. And every living thing, plant or animal or insect or person is affected by this. Nothing gets through the four seasons of Shenandoah unchanged. And maybe that's great in theory, yay, seasons, life cycle. But in practice, transformation is really just change, disguised in a fancier, more positive-sounding word. And change is hard. Does anyone notice that it is already getting darker so much? Yes. It's getting darker so much earlier than it was a few weeks ago. I notice every day, and it makes me panic. Like the sound of the cicadas in the evening, the changing light, the sense that time is short. Transformation, change, requires a letting go of the way things were or are, which, as much of this is a part of life, it gets me every time. It doesn't seem to get easier. The Bible is basically one long story of transformation. Remember how you all did the Manna and Mercy study while I was gone this spring? Manna and Mercy is a telling of the Bible, and the subtitle is God's Unfolding Promise to Mend the Entire Universe. Unfolding and mending are both change words, transformation words. In the mending, everything comes out a little or a lot different than it was before. The arc of scripture, the arc of God's work in our world is a dynamic one. Think of how many wilderness treks there are throughout the Bible. Shenandoah National Park contains 100 miles of the Appalachian Trail, that 2,200-mile trail that spans the East Coast which has undoubtedly brought personal transformation in the lives of the more than 20,000 people who have through-hiked it since 1936. There's nothing like a wilderness trek for some personal growth. Moses and the Israelites could tell you all about that, or Jesus and his 40 days in the desert. We had Elijah in the wilderness a few weeks ago when we visited Death Valley. The psalmist always seems to be in some kind of wilderness. And just last week, we were with the prophet Ezekiel, who had this vision of walking through a valley of dry bones during Israel's exile in Babylon. This week, our prophet is Isaiah, and the historical scene is pretty much the same as it was with Ezekiel, exile in Babylon. Like Ezekiel, Isaiah is tasked with speak speaking words of hope to a despondent people. Now that's a tricky thing to do because people are smart. 
even when they are in despair. They can tell when you're just giving platitudes, when you're just saying thoughts and prayers and no action behind them. People can tell when you're saying it'll be okay, but you've got nothing to back it up. Speaking hope that means something when the situation seems largely hopeless is not easy. God wants Isaiah to speak of hope with substance, hope that can stand up all on its own even when things don't go as planned. So Isaiah gives these words of comfort from God. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Now what is hopeful about those words, the authenticity that I find in them, is that they don't deny the waters, the river, the fire, the adversity. God doesn't say, you won't have to do these things. Our faith isn't about escaping. It's not like a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not a ticket to paradise where we just leave everything in this world, the hardships of transformation behind. I know, you know, that the fires and the floods and the rivers are very much with us, literally and figuratively. And so God doesn't say if those things happen. God says when they do, when you are in it, and it feels like you're going under, I'm with you. When it feels like you can't hold on, I'm with you. In our National Park series, we remembered the effects that water has on land, rushing rivers. We know too well, especially recently, the effects of fire. The parks that we visited this summer have been shaped by water and fire and time. We ourselves don't pass through hard things, the metaphorical fires and rivers and floods unchanged. The experience of the Babylonian exile that flooded the psyche of Isaiah's listeners, that would impact them and their descendants all the way to the present day. That exile in Babylon is the primary trauma shaping the authors and the editors and the compilers of the entire Bible. We don't get through our hardest times and stay the same. We don't even get through a simple passing of seasons, like those coming through Shenandoah, and stay the same. And God says, I'm here for it. Whether it's the monumental changes of our lives, the storms and the fires and the lightning strikes, or just the regular, relentless winters and the muddy springs, we don't stay the same. And that can make us anxious and want to run the other way, even though largely we can't. And still God says, I'm here. 
And in all of the catastrophic or erosive changes that are not of God, I repeat that God is not raining disaster on your life. In the fires and the floods and the wasteland, sometimes they just happen. And in all of those, God is not only with us, but God is doing something new. God is bringing life. We are being transformed, redeemed, found. Here's kind of a meta example of the process of transformation and how it's hard and requires letting go, but how God brings us through to the other side. We've spent eight weeks in this worship series, right? Old faithful all the way to old rag. And I personally have learned so much. Reading and preparing for each week has been a journey for me, and maybe for you, that has transformed how I think about the national parks. The origin stories of each, how it's more complicated than maybe we thought. How basically across the board, there were people living on and traveling through the lands. And those people were evicted, exiled, or largely erased in the early makings of a park. It goes for Shenandoah, too, in a slightly different way. The indigenous people living in the Shenandoah Valley were completely pushed out by the English colonists by the mid-1750s. But by the time conservationists were pushing to make Shenandoah a national park in the 1920s, that valley and the surrounding Blue Ridge Mountains had been occupied for several generations by what the anthropologists of the day called hollow dwellers or hillbillies. Using some of the same language and reasoning that was used to evict Native Americans from land in the West, lobbyists and researchers portrayed the hollow dwellers as backwards, primitive, uneducated, uncivilized, completely behind the times and cut off from the rest of society. These hundreds of families were subsequently removed from their homes and villages and relocated elsewhere so that Shenandoah could be consecrated as a national park, stitched together from 3,000 individual tracts of land. And then, as campgrounds and bathrooms were put in over top people's former homesteads, segregation invaded the space instantaneously. With the exception of only one mountain and campground in the whole national park, signs on every restroom and cabin and comfort station read, whites only, until 1950. Around every curve of Skyline Drive, it seems, another piece of the story that changes our perspective of Shenandoah it makes it hard to hold on to our idealized nostalgia in exactly the same way. Our journey throughout these eight weeks and the journey of education undertaken by the park system itself in recent years has entailed some letting go of ideas we previously held, a setting down of the rose-colored glasses that allows for transformation in how we think about whose stories are uplifted and who was erased and how we think about nature and its place and who has controlled these places and who should. It's not an easy thing to let go 
of stories of places we love in order to have our understanding deepened. And yet all of this learning, all of this letting go of transformation of thought and relationship is in the service of healing. God is mending the universe, mending our disconnected selves, our broken societies, as we learn and unlearn and relearn by listening to each other. Artists sent me an article a few weeks ago about a 93-year-old grandmother who just finished her quest to visit all 63 national parks alongside her grandson. They had been estranged over 20 years ago after a family rift, but when the grandson was 34 and in a dark place struggling with his mental health, he reached out to his grandma Joy, who was 85, and asked if she wanted to go camp in the Great Smoky Mountains. And eight years later, they checked off their 63rd and final National Park visit together. The chasm between them healed. Their relationship restored. The journey of letting go of what we thought we knew, that grudge we thought was the most important, allowing ourselves to be transformed, is in the service of healing. The national parks are sacred and powerful and beautiful and have such potential for good, and they have a troubled history. Not unlike our Christian tradition, the institution of the church, sacred and powerful and beautiful with such potential for good and a troubled history. And so what do we do as people of faith, as folks who really do believe that there is good here that is worth holding on to? We do our own listening and sifting in conversation with each other and with God in community. We offer ourselves and what we think we know and what we think we're supposed to believe, all the practices and traditions and doctrines that we've put into place, and what we have decreed church should look like or be, and we offer it up to the Spirit to transform, to change. We offer ourselves and all that we hold dear about our church, like our little C church and the big C church, to be changed by the Spirit as the Spirit sees fit. Remember God's unfolding promise to mend the entire universe, in the mending, everything comes out a little or a lot different than it was before. Paul's letter to the Romans itself, both filled with wonderful and troubling statements, has as its entire theological argument the idea of transformation, made possible by Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Paul explained throughout his letter that there are some things, some parts of us as individuals and as a church and us as a society that have to die before we can get to the resurrection part. Our becoming who God made us to be is incumbent upon us letting go of who God did not make us to be. The sins of our society, 
the spirit-swelching fears of our hearts, whatever it is that keeps us frozen or pitted against each other, the newness of life, the healing that's available to us in our relationships, in our bodies, in our minds, and in our communities, requires us to be transformed, which in turn requires us to let go of the way things are or have been. Do not be conformed to this world, all rights. Don't get stuck in any one place. Don't get stuck in yesterday's thinking, afraid of anything that's changing but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, meaning offer up your whole self for transformation. Let the Spirit help you integrate who you are on the inside with what you present on the outside. The transformation the Spirit brings is the behold, I'm doing a new thing that God promises in Isaiah. And it's always in the direction of wholeness, of justice, of shalom. That's where we're heading as we do this work and allow this work to be done in us. Always in the direction of healing. Ultimately, in the direction of resurrection. Resurrection in our lives, in our church, in this world. And so the invitation is to continue the journey. Think of yourself as a tree in Shenandoah that's there for all of the different seasons, the shedding and the letting go, the death, the new life, the abundance. Show up for all of it because you are present and you are alive and you are a gift. That grandmother, Joy, who at 85 had never seen a mountain, but by 93 had visited all national parks, she had a quote at the end of this NPR article telling a story of looking up at giant redwoods in California and noticing that they had been struck by lightning some time ago. She says, you think that takes courage after you've been struck by lightning to say, I'm going to keep growing. It sure does take courage to endure the changes, but the ones the spirit brings, the ones that just happen to you, the gentle changes, the ones that feel like lightning, and to say, I'm going to keep growing. Transformation, whether you just want to call it change, or growth or walking through the deep waters involves letting go. It takes courage. The seasons, the fires, the floods, the rivers leave us not the same as we once were. This is hard. And healing is worth it. Beauty and grace and light and compassion abound regardless. God goes with us no matter what. And so may we go into this new season, eyes wide open, knowing that whatever changes may come, we have the best traveling companions. In God and in one another, the best traveling companions there are. Thanks be to God.
don't forget to join us for coffee hour. I don't know if you've noticed, but coffee hour has been set up to reflect a different national park every week, and it has been tremendous. So go for your last chance at this to have some wonderful snacks and take time to get to know a new person today. And as we go out, we know that we are in a changing world, and we are hopeful because God has equipped us to be agents of transformation that we can walk through the waters, that we can take anything that comes knowing that we are not alone and that we are empowered to bring peace and healing into this world. Go in peace. Amen. NBUMC Weekly is a production of North Bethesda United Methodist Church located in Bethesda, Maryland. Follow us on YouTube and Facebook at North Bethesda UMC or on Instagram at Loving All Neighbors. All music is licensed via Christian Copyright Licensing International, CCLI. <laughs>